In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Respectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Michael Bloom. And today we have a very exciting episode. A lot of uh, actually entirely foreign policy focused uh, this week. We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, disaster in Haiti and some of the morally outrageous things that the United States government has done in response to it, specifically in response to uh, refugees and uh, and migrants coming over from Haiti. Uh, Then we're going to... Start a new series of segments called Sorry We Fucked Up Your Country, uh, where we're basically going to talk about the history of countries that the United States has fucked up and discuss where they're at today and what led up to it and potentially ways in which we can prevent ourselves from fucking up countries in the future. And then we're going to end on theme by talking about the authority of the President of the United States to carry out... Uh, extrajudicial drone strikes overseas and how maybe that's not something that should exist. I'm excited about tonight, Mike's. Yeah, me too. This is going to be a really fun episode. Yeah. So uh, you know what I'm also really excited to hear about, Michael? Oh, what? I'm, I'm really curious. I'm really excited to hear about um, the uh, the upcoming uh, Kenobi show on... Uh, on um, on Disney Plus, really, um, but because that hasn't come out yet, uh, I mm. think we can settle for the COVID numbers. Gotcha. Yeah, close second. I'm always just like, ah, close second. Is it Star Wars that's the Kenobi show? It's always Star Wars or COVID for me, which is the most exciting. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, so far in the world, COVID or Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> so far in the world, we've got 231 million cases this week, which is up from 228 million last week. So those are that's total case count since the start of the pandemic. So that's 3 million new cases in a week, or nearly 430,000 cases a day, which is down from 600,000 cases a day last week. So a bit of an improvement there. Um, So far, deaths, we've hit 4.74 million deaths worldwide, which is up from 4.68 million last week. So that's about 60,000 new deaths in a week, or about 8,500 deaths a day, which is just below the 9,000 deaths per day that we had the week before. Uh, At this point in the world, we've hit 79 doses for every 100 people, which is up from 76 doses per 100 last week. So yet another week of, you know, slow and steady increase on the world stage. And uh, quickly approaching that, uh, uh, you know, 100 doses per 100 people mark, which as we discussed in the past, because most vaccines uh, that are out there are are two-dose vaccines, you know, when you get to 50 doses per hundred, you know, that could, that could, the, the distribution of fully versus partially vaccinated people could vary pretty widely. You know, everybody could have one vaccine or 50% could have be fully vaccinated and 50% unvaccinated or, or anywhere in between. Um, so in the U S at this point, we've hit 43.5 million cases, which is up from 42.6 million last week. So that's 900,000 new cases in a week, 
or 129,000 new cases per day, which is actually down from 143,000 new cases per day last week. Um, on the other hand, uh, at this point, we've broken 700,000 uh, deaths in the United States. We hit 700,001 deaths uh, as of today, which is up from 686,000 deaths last week. Um, so that's 15,000 new uh, deaths in a week, which is more than 2,000 deaths per day, which is actually an increase uh, from from the prior week where we saw 1,400 deaths per day. So despite a, a decrease in the rate of new cases, we saw an increase in uh, daily deaths. Um, at this point in the U.S., 55% of the population is fully vaccinated, uh, with 64% having one dose. And those numbers are just are up just one percent from fifty four percent fully vaccinated last week and sixty three percent with one dose last week. Um, so pretty much stagnant in the U.S. <laughs> or as Ron DeSantis would put it, uh, it's time to stop mandating quarantines for people that have been exposed to COVID. Yeah, we don't need to worry about this anymore. You know, two thousand deaths a day—that's like nothing. Whatever. We could do that for a long time before we're out of people. You ever, like, you know how it is when, um, you know the phrase a broken clock is right twice a day? Uh-huh. And, and you know how it is where, like, you always have that moment in a, in a movie where, you know, someone's purposely trying to, to fail a test, so they purposely answer everything wrong, mm-hmm. and then the teacher comes up to them and is like, well, the only way that you could have possibly answered every single question wrong is if you knew all the answers. I feel like Ron DeSantis actually knows what all the right answers are. And the only reason, like the only reason he could possibly be doing everything 100% just incorrectly, it has to be because he knows and he's (laughs) actively trying to just be an idiot. He's like, like he's like it's like a false flag operation. It's like a foreign yeah, exactly. foreign government has like put him in as like the governor of Florida because they know that it's like, you know, a hotbed area of crazies and he's gonna be able to stir yeah. up the nation. Yeah. The only way that you could be <laughs> this wrong about everything is if you know what the right answers are and you just purposely avoid them. There's, like that's the only that's the only explanation. There's, there's like no this other explanation. Secret anti geriatric uh coalition that like put him in there to like get rid of all the old people in florida <laughs> uh, God. yeah it's pretty crazy how how wrong he is just what what real gems florida keeps you know tossing up for us to hit out of the park ronda santos uh Matt Gates, just the whole Florida crew really is is. Remember when? Remember when we days. thought that Jeb Bush was the worst thing coming out of Florida? <laughs> Florida was like, should I hold say, my beer, <laughs> or should I say Jeb explanation point? <laughs> so, speaking of uh, of southern states and areas along the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, fuck, that was a terrible transition. Uh, <laughs> hey, 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 I have I have done worse, and you know that. Yes, yes. I've had way worse transitions. <laughs> I usually don't have to handle the first transition. Um, yeah. Well, I was I was about to, but I was thinking, should I let him do it this time? <laughs> you can do the next one. What's he going to come up with? Oh, that's that's about that as bad, bad as I yeah, usually yeah, do. Yeah, a nice Wonderful. geographic yeah. reference. That's great. <laughs> um, so for our first segment, we are talking about uh, Haiti and, and the... It, the immigrant and humanitarian crisis 
occurring at the southern border of the United States. Um, and yeah, it's 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 really frustrating. Like obviously, yeah. obviously, like it's way worse for the people who are being expelled from this country, and we'll talk through all of that. But it is so maddening to me that not even one administration, even a democratic one, can can like stick to a principle on immigration and not just be yeah. fucking horrible about it. Like I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean there's I mean Obama was referred to as the deporter in chief. And one of the things that I respected about um, Julian Castro when he was running for president was he actually did call out the Obama administration, even though he was a part of it. He was saying, yeah, we we committed wrong. Like we, yeah. we committed wrongdoings um, during this administration. And he and yeah. he called Joe Biden out for it, for for not recognizing, hey, we need to move forward. We need to be we need to be different. Yeah. And in in some ways, he is different from the Trump administration. But like, I mean, <laughs> low bar yeah like, yeah and he's been using he's been using the same policy under the trump administration to to deport people or to turn people away yeah exactly. the title 42 um expulsion of of people who were, were entering the country illegally um and how biden was just continuing that policy yeah and the fact that he's continuing to do that for these haitian re refugees yeah that Number one, experienced their, you know, their their president was assassinated, and then number two, a seven point two magnitude earthquake that resulted in uh, two thousand two hundred people dying mm -hmm. and twelve thousand people injured, with many yeah. more still missing. Yeah, I mean, in an economy and a nation like already struggling and further decimated by the COVID nineteen pandemic which has put pressure on yeah. literally every aspect of life in Haiti. Like, yeah. So, so let's, let's back up what's happening. So currently, and in recent weeks, there have been, there's been this, um, accumulation of around 14,000 men, women, and children, the vast majority of whom are Haitian nationals who are living under a bridge in, uh, Del Rio, Texas, uh, which is a border town in Texas. Um, and, these people have been accumulating, um, as, as we've talked about, like people have been, you know, fleeing from Haiti for the re some of the reasons that, that nation Nathan mentioned, like Haiti is, is already a very poor nation that has gone through like some really terrible, uh, things recently. And so these people have been, um, about a large group of these people have been like living in South America or have, or have fled Haiti and have made their way for a variety of reasons to uh, the U.S. border and have made it across the border into Texas and are living under this bridge so that they can uh, seek asylum in the United States. Um, and so this kind of has come forward because, you know, we've seen some coverage uh, specifically of, like, border agents, some of whom are on, are on horseback, like, like, charging at people, like whipping them, corralling them, all in an effort to uh, expel all of these Haitian asylum, seek asylum seekers. So 
um, Alexander Mayorkas, the uh, head of the Department of Homeland Security, he said, quote, this is not the way to come to the United States. Now, note that he, he also like expressed, he, he and Hawd and expressed a lot of sadness over the, the pictures that he saw coming from the border, but you know their posi- his stated position is, you guys shouldn't be coming. Um, and so he, the, uh, he has sent f- 600 federal officials, um, including board- Border Patrol agents and Coast Guard, um, to basically aid in the... Uh, largest um, like deportation effort in recent history. So at this point, um, they've already moved six thousand migrants out from this um, this like area under the, underneath this bridge. Some have been detained, and and most um, have already or will be flown directly back to Haiti uh, to be just dropped off. Um, which is a problem. Um, so, so let's think about like why that's a problem. So again, Haiti is a state like teetering on the brink of collapse, right? And according to the head of Haiti's immigration office, um, quote, the Haitian state is not really able to receive these deportees. Basically, thousands of people, we're talking five or six planes per day, of of people are being flown to Haiti and just dropped off and you know these people are often without cell phones they're often not told that they're being returned to Haiti like they're they have no preparation they have no hearing they're just picked up put on a plane and flown to Haiti and so uh the Haitian government is having to process thousands and thousands of um you know incoming Haitians uh, in facilities that are actually designed to process like 10 people and it's a, and they are they are required to like release these people to like Haitian family members um, and you know they're just like literally not able to process these people so like the US is like you know just jamming these deportees into a system that has no ability to actually handle these people, even if, even if the country itself had the ability to to feed and um, you know provide economic opportunity for its people to begin with, and and the crazy thing about this is like the Biden administration has recognized how bad the situation is in Haiti, and made provisions for Haitian nationals in the United States to be protected from deportation. And they're literally just ignoring that for this particular group of people that they're just not even giving, not even providing an asylum hearing for. So in May, Mayorkas, the same guy, announced a new like 18-month designation of temporary protected status for Haitian nationals in the United States. So they would get, you know, an avenue to be protected from deportation because Haiti is, quote, currently experiencing serious security concerns, social unrest, an increase in human rights abuses, crippling poverty, and lack of basic resources, which are exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. So they literally took, they extended protection to Haitians who made it onto the U.S. soil prior to July 29th. And then specifically because they know how bad the situation is, in Haiti, 
And yet, these these migrants, these asylum seekers who are here in the United States, like trying to seek asylum, um, are just being summarily sent back to Haiti, right? Like, like okay. So let's think about asylum. I like maybe maybe some people don't really know very much about asylum, which makes sense. It's kind of a potentially a little bit obscure thing. So Nathan mentioned Title 42. So this is um, an effort by the Department of Homeland Security uh, to summarily expel people uh, crossing the border uh, without a hearing, regardless of whether they're seeking asylum. Um, and it was it was justified um, on the grounds of like protecting public health um, during the COVID-19 pandemic. So, um, but the thing is like, so, so two points on that. First of all, um, despite the stated concern being the COVID-19 pandemic, the border officials, Department of Homeland Security is taking no action, um, to test these individuals for COVID-19, right? Like, oh, if it's COVID-19 that you're worried about, well, you don't need to deport everyone. You could test people. You could quarantine people. You could vaccinate people. Um, Because at this point, you know, less than 1% of uh, Haiti's population has been vaccinated because it's a a place in really tough shape. Um, And so, like, there are lots of paths. And and also the companies that actually have the... uh the the patent for the vaccines refuse to release those patents so that generic brands can be produced in countries like Haiti. Yeah. So that's another that's another important reason. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so so, you know, if we if the Biden administration were trying to find a solution for these individuals that was compatible with protecting uh, the US population from COVID nineteen. There are options besides just expelling people. And they're not taking, they're not even pretending to take any of those options. They're just trying to expel, mass expel from this nation thousands of people per day. Um, yeah. And like, and, and so the second point is la- the last week, a federal judge ruled that uh, Title 42 does not grant the government authority to carry out these expulsions. And yet the Biden administration has, one, appealed the ruling, and two, has 14 days to implement the decision, which is plenty of time to expel the remaining 6,000 or so Haitians that they plan to expel. Like, Haiti is expecting five or six flights a day for the next couple of weeks full of people that are just being picked up and flown back, regardless of whether they have a credible and reasonable risk or, you know, fear of their home nation, which is um, a requirement of of determining refugee status um, for asylum seekers under the United Nations, United Nations 1976 protocol, which, uh, onto which the U.S. is a signatory, which means that it's our legal obligation to, um, to verify that people seeking asylum, that refugees in this nation uh, don't have a reasonable um, and credible fear of, of um, you know, persecution or uh, 
or, you know, of returning to their home country. And so usually, you know, if someone were to arrive to cross the border, arrive in the United States, um, claim asylum, or arrive at one of our ports or airports claiming asylum, there is a procedure to go through to make sure that we're not going to be violating domestic and international law by sending them back to their home nation, um, you know, in violation of their rights to, to seek refuge. And that's just not happening. Like there, there are no hearings. They're not checking. It's just rounding people up and flying them to Haiti. And what pisses me off about this is the Democrats were rightfully frequently calling out the horrific atrocities committed by the Trump administration with regard to immigration. Where the fuck are those same voices right now? Mm -hmm. Like, look, I, I don't care that he's a Democrat. I care that he's, he's committing atrocities. I care that he is expelling people in violation of his, his own administration's policies. Yeah. You know, and, and even if you want to try to say like, Oh, it's it's lower down people that are making the uh, the in the moment decisions. No, the buck stops with him. Yeah. All right. And one of the things that he ran on was a more compassionate immigration policy than Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Now that's not a very high bar, but you could at least try to clear it a little. A little. Yeah. And that's the thing, like. <laughs> Like even even if it's the people lower down that are like, you know, making these decisions and executing, they've been doing this for a few days at this point, and they're yeah. just continuing. Like Mayorkas has signed on to this activity. Like this is not an accident. You know, I don't know if Biden himself has said anything about it, but I know that Mayorkas has said that you know these people shouldn't be in like come into the United States like this and. And, you know, he is sending more personnel specifically to clear uh, these asylum seekers from the southern border. Yeah. And in response to this, um, the United States uh, special envoy to Haiti, um, Dan, I believe it's pronounced Fute, Fute, uh, resigned mm -hmm. from, from his position. Basically saying, you know, citing the the inhumane expulsions, um, he said, "quote I will not be associated with the United States's inhumane, counterproductive decision to deport thousands of Haitian refugees and illegal illegal immigrants to Haiti, a country where American officials are conf are confined to secure compounds because of the danger posed by armed gangs to daily life." Yeah. Our policy approach to Haiti remains deeply flawed, and my policy recommendations have been ignored and dismissed when not edited to project a narrative different from my own. Mm -hmm. That's the spe that's the United States special envoy to Haiti, and he just resigned. Yeah, to protest the unethical, uh, the unethical policies, the unethical actions of the Biden administration. Yeah, it's like. It's astounding. I'm and I'm glad we're looking at it. And like and and to your point, it, this the backlash has not gone all the, like the bell has not rung all the way to the top, but like Chuck Schumer came out and said that like this was totally effed up and not humane and and whatnot. And like I'm glad to see at least some establishment Democrats saying something about this because 
it's yeah. it's it's insanely like it's just sad it's fucking depressing that like we can't figure out how to help a few thousand people who are fleeing one of the worst situations in the western hemisphere and who just get like keep getting hit again and again and, and like Haitians have been targets of some of the US's most aggressive immigration tactics starting with like with Reagan um George H.W. Bush uh detained Haitians in Guantanamo Bay like um we have been like treating Haitian immigrants terribly for a really long time like like asylum seekers from Haiti coming to the United States are have been for years just without a hearing um without due process uh just you know expelled back to Haiti or detained in the United States or other facilities um and it's crazy that it's it's just continuing right in front of us yeah and and if you if you think that well of course they of course they can't process all of these because they don't have the resources to do that okay that's been a problem for a long time you know what the solution is Get the fucking resources. Yeah, seriously. All right? That's a choice. We need more immigration judges. We need more caseworkers. We need more immigration lawyers. We also need to pay immigration lawyers more so that people actu- are actually incentivized to yeah. become immigration lawyers. Yeah. I mean, you need you need more funding to process all of these cases. If your concern is they might be dangerous, okay, put more uh, put out more resources in order to process them. Yeah. All right. If your concern is COVID, remember when we we talked about this on the pod, we talked about how the fear mongering about how immigrants are bringing COVID into the United States is complete bullshit. Because what happens when people are brought into the United States, if they're not just automatically expelled, they are they are sent to facilities in which they are tested. And in fact, we actually have a better understanding of how many immigrants, how many recently recent uh, immigrants um, have COVID or don't have COVID than we do our own citizens because we actually spend more time monitoring them than we do our own citizens. So don't give me that bullshit either. Yeah. We've got testing capacity. We've got vaccine capacity. Like, we have options to help these people, and instead, we're putting that money towards airfare. Um, and it's it's saddening and it's despicable, and the buck stops with Biden and his administration. They have they have failed in a policy promise that they made to um, bring humanity to our. Uh, the administration of immigration in the United States. And again and again, they have completely bungled it. Like they are still detaining people unfairly. There, there are still children disconnected from families. They are still keeping people in, um, you know, underfunded and, uh, you know, in, in poorly run facilities 
and they are at this point, as far as I can tell, violating international law by deporting Haitian refugees without appropriate due process. And now it's time for a more lighthearted segment, Tips for Good. So Nathan, why do we do Tips for Good every week? Well, Michael, we do Tips for Good every week because Stacy's mom mm-hmm. has got it going on. Yeah. Stacy's mom that right. has got it going on. Stacy's mom mm-hmm. has got it going on. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Hey, Stacy, can I, can I come over after school? <laughs> that's, that's true. Because when people have it going on, that's pretty nice. And that, I feel like that brightens up the world. You know, it makes a little bit, yeah. a little bit of a better place. It, it makes it a better place. Yeah. 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 When people yeah. got it going on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh shit. That's, that's what the tips for good's about. It's about making the world Every a better week, place. We forget that. Every that's, week. It just, damn. it just slips my mind. I damn it. It's, I mean, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like we, 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 we plan on doing this. Yeah. Um, so Michael, what is our tip for good this week? Okay. Usually, <laughs> so excited about usually this. Marjorie Taylor Greene would be an asshat. But this week we, me, Nathan, and you, yes, you listener have an opportunity. And that's our tip for good is to seize this opportunity. So so Marjorie Taylor Greene, in in her unending... Jewish space lasers. Yes, yes. Marjorie Taylor Jewish space lasers Greene, in her unending understanding of uh, the Republican voter, released an amazing, amazing, hilarious uh, ad uh, for why she should be elected in, in again in, the, in her next run. And that is because she's going to destroy the socialist... Uh, Nancy Pelosi green agenda. And to illustrate this point, she took a 50 caliber rifle and she shot a Prius (laughs) (laughs) with the word socialism, with the word socialism on it. And then it blew up. And then it blew up. Now, which you shouldn't say any sense because in the video, she was aimed at the middle of the Prius. Yeah. So I'm a little bit confused about how it blew I love up. it. it the video, but it blew yeah, up. It had this like faux military like target annihilated. Or like, it was like, yeah. it, was, it was awesome. And it was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, you it shouldn't say so she blew up a Prius because she shot a Prius in the door and the Prius blew up. I think they were unrelated. Yeah, I don't know. Did they have... Did they have C four in there? Is that even le- would that is that legal? I, like, how I did- assume we can get permits for that kind of thing. I, it would be amazing if she Imagine was like explaining arrested. Explaining that to the permit company. <laughs> I'm gonna blow like, up a Prius. Like, okay. Are you kidding me? In Georgia, I'm gonna blow up a Prius. Oh, pre-approved. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she blew up a Prius with a 50 caliber rifle, and here's where you come in. She is raffling off this 50 caliber rifle. And you might think, oh, man, like I want a 50 caliber rifle, but I'm not going to give money to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Well, you don't have to. All you have to do is is go to uh, Green, G-R-E-E-N-E, gun, G-U-N, dot com. So G-R-E-E-N-E-G-U-N dot com. And you can enter your name and uh, and email address and your zip code. And enter for a chance. You might to want win to do an email 50... that you don't usually use. That's true. You will get spammed. <laughs> Disclaimer: You are gonna get spammed. Um, and enter to win this and this rifle. And 
we we both did it. We want to encourage you to do it because we think it would be so funny if a bunch of liberal gun-hating snowflakes won <laughs> this ridiculous 50 caliber sniper rifle from Marjorie Which, Taylor Which, by the Green. way... Is priced at ten thousand dollars, according to Marjorie Taylor Greene. And according to yeah, Marjorie, which Taylor means Green. that it, you know, is also, you know, it, it, the only problem with the gun is it comes stamped uh, with, you know, uh, this gun is for kidding, killing like you know pedophiles or whatever on the side. Uh, <laughs> oh really? I didn't hear that. No, I'm just kidding. It was a joke. Okay. <laughs> she thinks everybody <laughs> she just agrees with is a pedophile. So that's okay. that's her whole okay. thing. But anyway, so so I it's think we should absolutely troll Marjorie Taylor Greene. And if you yes. feel comfortable, you should enter to win this gun. If you don't want the gun, sell it to someone. Give it away if you get it. You know. Yeah. And if you have to give an interview with Marjorie Taylor Greene to you know to accept the gun, just. Troll. troll have fun with yeah. it yeah <laughs> yeah just have fun with it no it, i i've i've already decided uh de- decided what i'm gonna say to her if i if i if i if i win it um but yeah you you gotta you, you know if if you are comfortable with this if you don't if you have an email that you can use uh that you won't get spammed from you should definitely enter this um you know don't give like after you do enter it, it'll be like, oh, you want to enter it again? You know, chip in some money. Don't give her. Don't any, give her don't any give money. Her any yeah, money. Yeah, no, like no. fuck her. Don't give her yeah, any yeah. money. But you should definitely enter into it because it would be so funny if a liberal snowflake won this gun from Marjorie Taylor <laughs> Juice Space Laser Screen. <laughs> and that's tips for good. So for our next segment, we are starting off a new series called. Sorry, we fucked up your country, uh, because you know we're always looking for new we do that perspectives and new content on the perspectrum, and this is a bottomless pit of content. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know there are 190 something countries in the world, and we've fucked up all of them in some <laughs> to some degree or another. <laughs> so today we are going to start off by talking about Chile, and you know in this series we'll be talking about kind of the interventionist history of the United States in these nations and the way that our foreign policy, uh, diplomatic and military, um, has screwed them up. Yeah. And a lot of this is going to be based on declassified documents. Um, A lot of the things that we're going to talk about are not things that you're going to be able to find in mainstream outlets. In fact, I I actually do have an example of uh, a sort of, like manipulated uh, reporting from the New York Times to to, to point to mm. um, to show you just how much the the government tried to cover up their a, a lot of their operations in terms of desta- uh, destabilizing uh, countries. So we want to specifically start by talking about Chile. Specifically, we want to talk about the coup that happened in Chile um, that was on, ironically. Uh, September 11th, uh, 1973, which I, I, that is just beyond coincidence, you know, (laughs) that's just beyond coincidence. So in, uh, in 1970, the United States under, under Nixon, and, uh, this was also back when, uh, Henry, Henry Kissinger was the secretary of state was absolutely terrified 
that a uh, an old socialist named Salvador Allende was going to get elected to be the president of Chile. Um, so the way that it worked was the, the way that the election worked was um, it was kind of a first past the post thing because there were several it was it was a three-sided race um, and Allende ended up getting 36.3 percent of the vote which was a plurality but he did lack a majority so the way that it works in Chile is that if you get a plurality but not a majority, then your election has to be confirmed by the Congress. Now, one of the things that the United States was trying really, really hard to do was to try to basically overturn the election. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, prior to the uh, prior to the um, actual vote in Congress, they launched this entire operation. Um, in order to keep the 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 previous president, whose name was um, Eduardo Frey, to basically nullify the election. So the idea was what they were going to do. The, the the Congress was going to pick the National Party candidate, whose name was uh, Jorge um, Alessandri, and then he would renounce the presidency, and it would provoke new elections in which Frey would run. Um and. The way that they did this, so the CIA, and keep in mind, this was after the actual vote. It was, um, this was after the actual vote by the people before the vote by Congress. The CIA created this huge propaganda campaign. They poured mm. millions of dollars into a propaganda campaign in Chile in order to basically recast Frie as, quote, um, a political personality in a role demanding decisiveness and machismo to a degree that thus far had eluded him. Now, again, all of this is, is according to classified do declassified documents rather um, by the CIA for what they, for what they had done throughout, th uh, throughout the time. In fact, they even tried to put pressure on the guy's wife. Mm -hmm. They, the, the CIA instigated a series of telegrams to his wife from women's groups and other Latin American nations to try to put pressure hmm. on him, to put pressure on Congress to nullify the election. Jeez. And during this propaganda campaign, the CIA had put out at least 726 stories, broadcast, and editorials against the Allende presidency. Yeah. Now, you might be asking, why were they so afraid of Salvador Allende? Well, the biggest reason for that is because, number one, he was a socialist. But number two, and this was the, this was the thing that they really cared about, um, there were a number of United States-owned copper companies yeah. in Chile. And he basically, he, he, he ran on throwing them out, and he ended up throwing them out. Yeah. Like something tells me that out. as we go through this series, we will continually run into the theme of U.S. intervention nominally in the name of spreading democratic values, uh, which is really in the interest of preserving American economic interest in a region. Well, like, but here's the thing about this guy. He was like, democratically elected. Like it's he was democratic democratically values. Elected. Like they had had a, 
you know, democratic elections since like the 1930s thereabout. Like this was a democratic yeah. nation. And he wasn't even like he wasn't anti-democratic. He yeah. was a democratic socialist, basically. Um, he did have a lot of sympathies with Marxists in the countries. And, you know, some people would actually go so far as to refer to him as a Marxist. And I think in in some occasions he actually referred to him himself as a Marxist. Mm -hmm. But he still supported um, the dem democratic institutions. He still supported civil liberties and due process of law. Yeah. You can agree with you can di agree or disagree with his Marxism, socialist ideology. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm not a socialist, but the fact of the matter is, if your priority is spreading democracy, this guy is not your anti-democracy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All he was trying to do was give voice to uh, a people who had been deprived of the, um, you know economic benefits of the exploitation of their country's resources for a couple hundred years or more by Western interests, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> it's the yeah. story of he, South America. Yeah. He attempted to, to redistribute income. He, um, he authorized wage increases. Um, he froze the prices of certain things. Now what's interesting is that, the the time that he spent in office which was cut short and we'll we'll get into that in a second the time that he was in office uh, people often point to as an example of why socialist policies don't work because while he was in office it is true that the economy of um of chile tanked it absolutely tanked now what's interesting about this is that it, it was it was actually debated for a while whether or not the the problems with the economy was due to socialist policies or um or the fact that the United States government basically just did everything they could economically to punish them. Um and it turns out, according to declassified documents, it was pretty much just the fact that the United States did absolutely everything they can to create what they hmm. called a quote, visible blockade of loans and credits to Chile. Hmm. So um, the declassified documents in Chile showed conclusively that the Nixon administration moved quickly to shut down multilateral and bilateral foreign aid to Chile. And this is actually even before he had, um, he had even completed a month in office before Allende had even completed a month in office. So when the entire world um, is cut off from supporting you, so like, for example, at the World Bank, uh, and, and this is um, the, the declassified documents are laid out um, in the, on the uh, 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 NACLA.org. Uh, um, the World Bank, at the World Bank, U.S. officials worked behind the scenes to assure that Chile would be disqualified for a pending $21 million livestock improvement credit and for any future loans. So they couldn't even get loans from the World Bank. So every single piece of aid was cut off for them. Mm. The United States purposely made sure to sabotage their economy, which by the way, if you're trying to prove that a specific economic system never works. I mean, purposely fucking it up is not how you do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not a good example, not a good example. So, so they screwed everything up economically. 
But even on top of that, another thing that they did was they would do these crazy propaganda campaigns in order to try to um, in order to try to push military officials over the edge. So they actually poured uh, 1.5 million dollars into uh, the conservative newspaper in Chile, El Mercurio, um, in which they would just randomly print lies and um, and propaganda about the Allende administration. And the CIA even admitted in documents that this specific newspaper, quote, played a significant role in setting the stage for the military coup of September 11th, 1973. Um, they would go to military officials. They would basically, uh, the CIA would go to military officials and claim that um, all of the leftists in the country were trying to, uh, like, take over the military from them. This entire strategy was referred to as Project Full Belt by the CIA. That was their code name for it. Um, and, and furthermore, this is one of the things that really made me sick. All right. Um, covert agents were maintained as a li liaison with some of the disgruntled military officials, which by the way, a lot of them were disgruntled because we were telling them lies about what Allende was trying to do. And they even would supply these people. They would prepare lists of Allende supporters in the event of a military takeover, which would eventually happen. The CIA provided these military people who would eventually go on to commit a coup with lists of supporters of, of Allende. Yeah. Like, we were setting and the I stage like to, for political assassinations and killings. And I would like to point out that when the coup happened, in the 19 days following the coup, 320 individuals were executed. Hmm. Which, by the way, was three times higher than they had publicly, uh, than they publicly admitted. You know, the total death from the coup was estimated to be 1,500. All right. Now, when the coup eventually happened, the guy that replaced Allende during the coup, which by the way, um, officially uh, Allende uh, committed suicide during the coup, but there's also been speculation that the suicide was actually staged and he was killed during the coup. Um, <clears throat> he was replaced by a guy named General Augusto Pinochet, um, who would then go on to uh, be president and he would form a military junta, meaning basically a dictatorship, a military yeah. dictatorship. So he reigned for 17 years as the leader of Chile. And estimations of some of the atrocities that he committed put like... You know, for example, executions and disappearances puts that number at thirteen thousand five hundred. Jesus. During his during his time there, he ruled like he ruled with this um, reign of terror. Basically, uh, he was an authoritarian. He was a dictator, but he was willing to play ball with the U.S. Mm -hmm. And that was the only reason why we supported him. Yep. All right. And continue to support him even in the face of. Credible evidence 
of human rights abuses and yeah, you know, just horrible treatment yeah. of the nation by by his, his administration. Yeah, and there's a there's a quotation that I want to read from you that I, I think is very telling about why this happened. CIA Director Helms actually wrote in a postmortem of the Chilean election. He said, quote, U.S. prestige and interests are being affected materially at a time when the U.S. can ill afford problems in an area that has traditionally been accepted <clears throat> as the U.S. backyard. Funny thing is, officially, the Nixon administration was actually saying, okay, well, this happened. We're not going to do anything about it. But behind the scenes, he was saying, yeah, so covert officials, y'all, you got to do something about this. This guy needs to go. Mm -hmm. So publicly, they were pretending that they weren't supporting this coup. Privately, they were. Yeah. And one of the things that I wanted to, that I kind of alluded to earlier that I just want to draw attention to is that um, Pino, uh, Pinochet, um, he is actually credited. So w when he when he died, um, the New York Times uh, wrote an article about him. Uh, so he died in uh, in 2006 at the age of 92, by the way. So, you know, evil, evil less, I guess. Um, they basically, they, they, they did write that he committed human rights abuses, um, although they, they put the number at 3,200, mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, the declassified documents put that number in the, you know, in the tens of thousands. Um, they basically, they still credit him with leading Chile through a period of economic prosperity. Hmm. But the only reason why that economic prosperity existed, why that happened, is because the moment he took office, aid started flowing to them again. Yeah. Like the Nixon administration specifically started providing um, providing money to, to, to them. The, mm -hmm. the Nixon administration offered... $24 million in commodity credits to buy wheat um, credits that had been denied to Allende's government and then provided another 24 million for, for corn to feed animals. Mm -hmm. um, and they even transferred two destroyers to the Chilean Navy. <laughs> so suddenly it was, it was open for business again. All right. The only reason why it was economically prosperous under him was because we made sure it was. Because we threw unlimited resources at making sure that everybody thought, oh, look at how look at how awesome this guy is. And he had a reign of terror for 17 years. And the the icing on top of this, and I, I wanna read I wanna read a, a quotation from from the BBC about how Chile is today. All right. I just just Think about all of the things that I've told you in this segment. And now listen to this. And this is, this is today. So, uh, and this is the BBC. Quote, Chile is one of South America's most stable and prosperous nations. It has been relatively free of coups and arbitrary governments that have blighted the continent. The exception was the 17-year rule of General Augusto Pinochet. So... I just want to put things into perspective. All of the shit that we just told you about, Chile is considered like 
tame in comparison to the rest of what the United States has done Mm -hmm. in South American countries. All right. You know, the fact that we only did one coup. Yeah. And and it (laughs) only only lasted for one dictator that only lasted for 17 years. For 17 years. Like, that makes Chile a success story. Yeah. (laughs) That makes Chile one of the better ones. All right. So I just want you to want to put things in perspective as to just the shit that the United States has done to to fuck up countries in in South America. Mm-hmm. So things are a lot better in Chile now. It is much more democratic and it's much more stable, mm-hmm. uh, both economically and politically in comparison to a lot of other countries. But Jesus Christ, I mean... Not for lack of trying, really, right? <laughs> yeah, not for lack of trying. We really fucked them. Yeah. And again, it was all because of United States economic interests. All right. At some point, this, like, the United States just needs to stop interfering. And the only reason why it keeps interfering with countries is because of United States businesses that basically control our government. All right. So, to Chile. Sorry we fucked up your country. So now it's time for one of our favorite segments. Asshat of the week. So, Michael, (laughs) who is our asshat this week? Our asshat this week is someone we haven't had on before. His name is Grant Stinchfield. And he is an anchor on um, Newsmax. So good start. Yeah, it's, it's always a good start. We should probably just start looking at Newsmax first, honestly. So he yeah. was talking with an Army veteran, Joe Sabo, uh, who was um, about you know the, the issues in Afghanistan. And he was attempting to um, you know, cast this all as Joe Biden's, you know, Sleepy Joe's ridiculous uh, you know, blunders and all that stuff. And um, I guess he didn't plan on having... Uh, someone with a brain on his show. Um, <laughs> uh, and and so um, uh, Joe Sabo made the mistake of, impl- of explaining that multiple presidents had made mistakes throughout the war in Afghanistan. Um, and so Grant replied, uh, he'd interrupted him and said, I can tell you this didn't happen under Trump. Um, I know there's a lot of I know there's a lot of people out on the left who want to try to blame Trump. He wanted out of Afghanistan real bad. He was real frustrated by not being able to get out, but he didn't pull out because he knew this would happen. Um, but Joe Sabo, who founded uh, you know, Team America, which is a Denver-based group dedicated to helping evacuate Americans and Afghan allies from Kabul, um, he said, you know, with due respect, veterans, I being one, our friends are over there. We follow this closely from multiple administrations, and we know that Trump's, the Trump administration's efforts here were fairly weak, and they were trying to limit the number of people that would get out, so there would, co- there would, so there was coordination problems for a long time. At which point, Stitchfield, you know, unable to handle a single sentence of criticism of Trump, began shouting, be visibly irate, began shouting, "Cut him off! Cut him off now! Cut him off now! You're not going to blame this on President Trump on my show. That's not happening." <sighs> Yeah. God, he 
I mean, you could not be more transparently a hack if you tried. I know. I mean, I mean, it was tame, tepid criticisms. Yeah. Like, and you just, and, and, and look, look, the guy is criticizing the Biden administration and the Trump administration. He's clearly mm-hmm. not just like some Democratic defender. Yep. You know, and right, rightfully, rightly so. Yeah. You know, there's, there are some fuck ups from the Biden administration in the, in terms of the, uh, the evacuation, you know, yeah. we've acknowledged that, but I mean, the, the fact that you can't even handle the fact that multiple administrations, you know, including Obama for that matter, like Trump, Obama, Bush have been terrible on Afghanistan and like, of the of the last few presidents, the person who's been the best in Afghanistan has been Biden because he got the hell out of there. Yeah. But but you couldn't handle the fact that, you know, you couldn't handle it. Someone was acknowledging that that maybe not every that maybe everybody is a little bit guilty of fucking up the of fucking this up. Mm-hmm. That yeah, I mean, God, just awesome. just just the way that he flips out is just yeah so telling. Yeah, exactly. He he was like yelling like the Biden administration screwed this up from the very start. You know it. I know it. The country knows it and ended up just kicking him off the show and yelling like I'm yeah. I'm mad about that. I really am. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. What a conniption. What a little tantrum just because he's had like he just said a fact, which is that by, you know, not doing this right and staying in Afghanistan for way too yeah. long, multiple administrations have fucked up the situation. I mean, you know, that's what happens when you don't coddle Trump's testicles enough for these idiots. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> uh, so congratulations to Grant Stitchfield, Stinchfield for being our asshat of, of the week. week. So for our last segment tonight, we are keeping on the theme of America's activities abroad, um, and we're talking about drones. Specifically, we want to have more of a kind of philosophical conversation about drones and the power of the of U.S. presidents to use them pretty much without check, and kind of what that means and has meant for our, you know foreign policy and and you know kind of what we whether we think drones are you know, an appropriate tool to begin with. Yeah. So this is, this is an interesting one for me. Cause I actually like, I, I definitely used to be a lot more of a, of a hack for the democratic party. Mm-hmm. Like I used, I used to be a much more staunch defender of the democratic party, but even in those days, like I always knew that there was something messed up with the drone program with, with Obama. Yeah. And what what was kind of interesting was because I was I always thought of it as well this is the this is the one area that I disagree with Obama on you know this is where we just we just have a disagreement right? <laughs> it's just a disagreement and it's okay to have a disagreement with someone and still vote for them and then and then as I grew up and matured a little bit I was like no this is a fucking war crime like this isn't a disagreement this is a war crime and the issue is under the Obama administration a majority of the people that were dying from drone strikes was civilians. And we know that because a whistleblower recently revealed that. Mm-hmm. All right. Under Trump, drone strikes actually increased. And a lot of the safeguards that the Obama administration had originally put in place 
to try to prevent drone strikes from killing civilians, which, again, a majority of the people that died by drone strikes under the Obama administration were still civilians. That got even worse under Trump. Mm -hmm. And then under under Biden, the, the big one that we heard about recently was the drone strike in Kabul, where like we we talked about it on the show how they they thought there was this guy who was like loading stuff into his car and it was and it was bombs turns out it was fucking water the guy was an aid worker and we killed him we killed 10 people and 7 of them were children <laughs> so this should actually lead us to the question why do we allow US presidents to have the authority to drone strike people without due process overseas. Mm -hmm. I mean, you might try to make the argument that, well, you know, they should have the ability to do, to do that because, uh, you know, because maybe they can do that defensively. Well, okay, even if I granted that, which I'm not going to because most of the people that we've killed with drone strikes have been civilians, yeah. and you cannot <laughs> kill a been... civilian defensively. Because they're not right? attacking you. By definition. Yeah, by definition. And I'm sorry, like, like it's not an emergency defensive action to do that. You know, like it's not an emergency yeah. defensive action to kill General Soleimani. Even though, like, even if you think it was a good call, it's not defensive. That's yeah. an aggressive action. Not, that's an aggressive action. But even so, one of the things, and this was actually a point that Noam Chomsky made about the Obama administration's drone program, what happens when you drone strike a bunch of civilians, when you drone strike a bunch of children, what happens is you just create more terrorists. Yeah. Because if if someone loses their entire family in a drone strike, like I'm not saying that any person becoming a terrorist and, you know, purposely targeting civilians and killing civilians, I'm not saying that that is ever justified. Yeah. But if you lose everything to a United States drone strike, I mean, what the fuck else are you going to do? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's not justified. It is not morally justified. But this is, this is what happens. It's not surprising. All right? So the point that Noam Chomsky made was that the Obama administration was basically creating more terrorists at a faster rate than he could bomb them. Hmm. You know? Yeah. And it was because of all the collateral damage. Yeah. That's why ISIS was created. The reason why ISIS came into existence was to to fight against what was perceived as a foreign invading force in the Middle East. That's why they were created. And the the thing that helps their membership are all these United States drones that keep blowing up innocent children. They keep yeah. blowing up civilians. So why the fuck do we allow this? It is so morally reprehensible. No president, whether they're, 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 they're a fascist or a progressive or a Democrat or Republican, I don't give a shit. No president should have the ability to authorize a drone strike overseas. Yeah. All right? A, 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 an aggressive drone strike. If there is a clear and present immediate danger, then maybe but there almost never is. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's right. And I think I think it's easy to get distracted by drones. 
like right like it's i think it's easy to get distracted by like the technology and the fact that it's like a new military tool really the problem is bombs and the willingness to accept uh to just accept huge collateral damage with a very low bar which is rooted in the dehumanization of people in the middle east like the willingness to say well it's worth it's worth killing 10 people or the potential of killing 10 people or more because there's a non-zero chance that this person loading unidentified square objects into his car might be loading bombs into there. Like the level of disregard for human life that you would have to have in order to say that like we've got what we have is evidence that someone is doing something with a square object. Oh yeah. Worth killing 10 people over. Yeah. And what was interesting is there was recently a, uh, there was a Senate uh, hearing about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Now, of course they were focusing on like, Oh, you know, like, wasn't it so terrible that we withdrew from Afghanistan? And most of it wasn't about, you know, the, the war itself or, or really any of the drone strikes in it. But during yeah. the actual hearing, um, Rand Paul, which I can't believe I'm about to give Rand Paul credit, but I'm about <laughs> to give Rand Paul credit. He actually had a line of questioning on uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken in which he was basically like, hey, uh, who the fuck did we kill? And Anthony Blinken was like, "I we don't know. We don't know. And Rand Paul was like, excuse me? Yeah. Like, don't you think you should know who someone is before you off them? Yeah. And and I mean, and, and he pointed out that this has been a problem across multiple administrations. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, he he only said he only mentioned Obama. He very conveniently left <laughs> out Trump because, of course, he did. Yeah. He's still a hack most of the time. Sure. But to his credit. He did call out Anthony Blinken. Yeah. For um, for the fact that. If, if the best defense that you have for this was we didn't know. That's still a shitty defense because you killed a civilian. All right. Your administration killed a civilian. And, you know, uh, to, to, to a point that Paul made when he was on and we were talking about this. Even if you want to make the argument that it was that the person who called the shot in the in the moment was not the secretary of state or wasn't even the president, that it was just some other guy. It was it was it was a drone operator or a, or a or a sort of lower down um, major yeah. or whoever the hell it was. Yeah. Even if you want to make that argument, buck stops with Biden. Yeah. All right. If he wanted to sign yeah. an if he wanted to sign an, an executive order that said no more drone strikes, he could do that today. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like it it's about the leadership and the tone that you set. No more accepting collateral damage. Like you no more killing civilians. Like if you authorize a drone strike that kills a civilian you're out of here like that's a pretty strong incentive for people not to fuck up that way um yeah yeah it's crazy and i think this is i think this is just what we're used to it's been 20 years of just accepting the dehumanization of the naming of dead innocence as collateral damage in the middle east it's been 20 years of it. Like I have, I do not in my memory 
have a time when we were not engaged in war in the Middle East, a time when I wasn't hearing about civilian casualties in the Middle East on the radio or on the TV. Like, we just literally accept it. And, and, we, and that is a paradigm that we must shift. Like, it does, yeah. Yeah, the thing is, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's drones or whatever. Bombs are blunt instruments. You don't, yeah. you don't kill one person with a bomb unless they're yeah. the only person. If there's a building, you kill the building and many people inside of it. You know, like, it's just not how you carry out precision. And we should demand precision of our government when, when representing us abroad. You know, like, we should demand that if you're going to kill someone, you should know who they are. You should know that they deserve it. There should be a high bar for that. And you shouldn't kill anybody else aside from the people you're intending to kill. Yeah. I mean, imagine if, if it were the United States. You know, imagine yeah. if the United States government had the authorization to do drone strikes on the United States. And like, I don't know, they, they had this special surveillance programs and they would observe when it looked like someone was about to commit a murder or was about to rob a bank or, you know, even was about to shoot up somewhere like even about to commit a mass shooting and every time that happened the united states launched a bomb at that person and killed a fuck ton of civilians would we be okay with that of course we wouldn't no way rightfully yeah. so yeah. that would be horrifically fascistic and authoritarian so why is it okay for us to do that in other countries mm -hmm. it's war nathan and that's the fucked up part we have been at yeah. war. We've accepted war. We've put these countries into war for two plus decades and, and behave as if that authorizes anything short of torture. And for one decade, we thought it was fine to do torture. And with that, we will end our show as we usually do on our highlights. So Nathan, what's your highlight this week? Um, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm still reeling from that last segment. Uh, good things. What are, what are some good things? That's, that's a tough question. Um, I'd say my highlight this week is just, again, I've been enjoying my new job. You know, I've been enjoying being a full-time instructor. I've been enjoying interacting with students, uh, helping students with speeches. It's just, it's just been good. It's been feeling fulfilling. Um, it's been feeling like at the end of the day when I like relax and play video games and I've actually earned it. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I've just, I've, I've been having, I've been having a good week. That's awesome. You know, in that regard. Yeah. I'm really happy to hear that. What about you, Michael? What's, what's your highlight? Oh, good question. Um, I think my highlight this week is actually this past weekend. I got to spend a whole day with my parents, which is awesome. I don't get mm. to do that that much anymore. Um, I got to see my niece's t-ball game and my nephew's soccer game. Um, yeah, it was just a weekend full of really fun and great stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm hope I'm looking forward to another weekend like that coming up. And also the fall weather. It's starting to get cool, and I am so ready for that. I just want it to be cold out all the time. <laughs> thank you climate change <laughs> or seasonal <laughs> change yeah and with that thank you so much for listening to the perspectrum and you'll hear from us again 